happening from Isaiah chapter 55. I'm sure is a well-known passage to all of us, and it's an invitation to the thirsty. And it's a it's a chapter that is very central to to Scottish theology from the time of the Reformation onwards in its reference uh, to to God's covenant. From verse 1, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that you do not know will hasten to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. You will go out with joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will, break, will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of the briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Amen. Let's quieten our hearts. And temperament, however, There is one reality or truth that unites us this morning, and it is that Jesus Christ shed his blood for each one of us. And whether you believe that or not, um, it is something that historically Christians have held on to for the past 2,000 years, and people before that time were looking forward to. And it is a great thing to know, uh, particularly if you believe it, that Jesus Christ's blood was shed for you and for me. And the moment someone believes in Jesus Christ, something remarkable happens. Indeed, it's miraculous because their dead spirit that they have within them comes to life by the power of God's spirit and they experience spiritual birth. And this can happen at any time in someone's life. It can happen if they're two or 72. 
and they're born from above, as it is, is noted in, in John's Gospel, chapter 3. Now, it doesn't mean that they're perfect from that point. They have a journey to go on until they eventually, until we eventually go to heaven. And it's not based on our own efforts, but it's based on the grace of God because of His mercy. It tells us something of His great love and compassion for us that He does when we believe in Jesus Christ, accept us as we are because of what God has done for us on the cross at Calvary. So basically, God accepts Jesus um, and He accepts us at the same time. We're bound together. So when He looks at us, He sees Jesus and His perfection and He sees the power of that blood and that should cleanse our consciences. And if ever our conscience does feel offended because of sin that we've committed, we know that we can claim the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and humble ourselves before God and ask for his forgiveness. And the barrier of sin is taken away and we enter into newness of life in Christ Jesus and we do become a new creation. There's a part of us that is fundamentally changed as God's spirit comes in. We are changed um, and God starts to work out his purposes in us. Um, but of course, we know that God was working out his purpose in us before we believed in Christ. Because God's much more powerful than you or I can ever really comprehend. Um, God's hand was upon your life and upon my life before we ever believed. And God's hand's upon everyone's life just now, whether they believe or not. Because God's much bigger than the faith that we have in Christ. He, he is a, a tremendously powerful God. John Wesley called this provenient grace. That is, the grace of God in our lives before we came to know God, even when we weren't aware of God's hands in our lives. And I can certainly remember back to times in my life when I wasn't conscious of God, but, but when I look back, I can actually see that God was kind of bringing me to a point of faith. But I wasn't aware of it. So God works in these particular ways. And we're saved for a purpose. We're not just, we don't become Christians, we don't come into the kingdom of God just for ourselves have a good time and of course we can in God's presence and with his people but we're saved to worship God and to serve God that's our purpose and this takes an act of commitment and ultimately we come to the point where we realize maybe after a few days or weeks or months or years that we have to surrender our lives to God um, and we have to pray the prayer that Jesus talked about when he said not my will but yours be done O Lord but God understands what we're like. He seeks us. He, he sort of reels us in. Um, uh, it's like fishing. He reels us in with a fish with bait. You know, I, I've not fished for many years now, but when I used to fish, you either fished with feathers or spinners or worms. And of course, the fish thought it was getting something good. But of course, we know otherwise because we're at the other end of the rod. And God, in some ways, is a bit like that. He's a bit like a fisherman in that, he offers us good things to draw us to himself. So what does he offer us? Well, he offers us our sins forgiven, so our conscience feels cleansed. We feel as though that the barrier between us and God is gone. He offers us our relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of his spirit. There are many promises which God gives to us. For example, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's quite a good one. We like that. He tells us that our citizenship is in heaven, that one day we're going to go to heaven. So that's the bait he uses to bring us in. These are good things, we like them. 
He tells us that he makes with us, as is noted in Isaiah 55, an everlasting covenant, a binding agreement with us, which secures us in him. Um, he gives us a purpose in life. If you look at a lot of what's written about people having satisfaction in life, the happiest people in life are those who have a purpose, who've got something to, go up, to get up for in the morning, and that's particularly in serving others. He gives us experientially a deep joy and contentment within ourselves. And that's something that's really precious because if you look at a lot of what goes on in the world today, a lot of the damage that people do to themselves is they're seeking a deep sense of contentment or joy. And God gives us that when we come to worship him and we serve him. And he also gives us an assurance that we will see it through to the end. We will have victory over, over in the world, over our own sinful nature and the powers of darkness or, or the devil. And that's, that's how he reels us in. But eventually over time what happens is um, those good things reel us in and we feel good and positive, but then we feel good and positive, but then we begin to realize actually it's not about us. Our salvation is just not about us because we're brought into a community. Not just that is all over the earth, but has been going on for thousands of years. This community called the church, which is vast in terms of time and space. And you and I are linked in spirit to the church that's in heaven just now. So when we were worshipping here, we were worshipping with the saints in heaven. There is no divide between us. We are brought into that company. So when you and I sing, we're brought into that company of people. And we begin to realise that, that salvation is not just about us. It's, and it's about us getting to heaven. It's about a world that needs to know about Jesus through his message of love and compassion and repentance and forgiveness, but also we're here to serve those in the world and those in the church. And we're to serve and to love those that we know. And maybe one of the best ways that we can serve one another is to pray for one another and to help each other when we're maybe feeling a bit down or need some help. And that takes commitment. And sometimes that can be a bit scary because when you begin to the point where you begin to realize that your salvation is not just for you, that you've got to sort of go out into the world, out into the church, and many young people and others uh, from this congregation have gone out into the world into, into quite daunting situations. You need a bit of security because you're kind of stepping out. It's a bit like Peter getting out of the boat. You're stepping out into the unknown. And when you look at Abraham, when Abraham uh, was being called by God, Abraham says, how will I know? How will I know that you're going to look after me? How will I know that I can trust you? Right? And if you look at in chapter 15 of Genesis in verse 8, what God does is God makes a covenant with him. He makes a binding agreement with him. Right? And he binds himself to Abraham with an oath, which is never to be broken. And what that then does is, despite... Abraham's fickleness and despite the fact that he tries to work things out in the flesh many times at the back of his mind and then sometimes at the front of his mind he knows that God has made a covenant with him and bound himself to him so in other words the creator of the universe has bound himself to Abraham and that gives him confidence to go on and that's the same with us if we're going to press on in the church and in the world living out that life of love and compassion 
and not ending up bitter and angry about it when we're rejected or whatever. We need to know that God has made a covenant with us in the blood of Christ and it is binding and it is eternal and it is secure and he will never break his side of that covenant. That's what we need to know. And that's what the saints of old knew in a way that I think sometimes in our modern Christianity, we've forgotten. Our modern Christianity, this is an observation, can be very humanistic. It's all about what I can do for God. And that's true. But sometimes you just need to sit down and rest in the fact, and I need to do it too, that God has put his hand upon our lives and made a covenant with us and promised to bless us. Yeah, and um, if you look at Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 6 and verse 13, I'm just going to read this. And it's, it's just one of these passages that, that when you read it, you begin to see the power of God and what God has done in Abraham's life. Yeah, and in some ways, it often reminds me of the Good Samaritan because the Good Samaritan um, had to do something very brave in the sense that he didn't necessarily know what was going to happen when he got off his donkey to help the man by the side of the road, because there could have been robbers about, it could have been a sort of a setup, right? But he had to go that extra mile, he had to actually put himself out for somewhere else, someone else. And I wonder what his security was. Maybe that good Samaritan Jesus was talking about knew more about the, the, the covenant of God and God's love for him than the Jewish priest and the Levite did. Just because they're religious didn't mean they had an intimate relationship with God and knew the love of God and the power of God. You see? Because very often religion can actually take us away from that. Yeah? So what does is, what is the writer to the Hebrews says? He says in verse 13, chapter 6, For when God made promises to Abraham, he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. God swore by himself. Why? Because there was nothing greater that God could swear by to secure Abraham in faith. Yeah? Now, Anselm of Canterbury, in his many of his discussions about God, he, a he asks the people he was uh, discussing with to think about what's the greatest thing you can think about? What can you, what's the greatest thing you can perceive in your mind? And when you ask pupils this in school and religious studies or whatever, they will say, all right, what's the biggest thing I think about? And you're doing this argument with them, they'll say, oh, the world. And then somebody else who's maybe a bit more scientifically aware in S2 or whatever will say, oh, no, hold on a minute. There's the Milky Way. And then somebody else will say, oh, no, hold on a minute. Get big, go, we can go bigger than that. We can go to the universe. So we sort of stop at the universe. And then you get into things like, you know, what's it like at the edge of the universe? Where kind of space stops, what's beyond that? And you get some really interesting discussions. But Anselm of Canterbury said that when you conceive that, in your mind, which is the greatest thing you can see, which is the created order, God is above that. God, God is beyond that. So time, space, matter, energy, God is above that. God is greater than that, right? So when we actually say God swear by himself, we're looking at something that is beyond what we can understand materially. <coughs> And that's what secured Abraham, right? That's what secured him. Something was greater than everything that Abraham had ever known or ever would know. And that thing, which was God, secured Abraham by swearing by himself. God swore by himself, right? 
And, and when he swore that, that secured Abraham, because Abraham then knew that, he was, that if God has committed to him, he actually can just live his life and walk forward in the paths that God has opened up for him in a place of rest, in a place of rest. He doesn't have to worry about his future. Although he maybe often did, he had to maybe bring himself back to this idea that God had made a covenant with him and sworn by himself, and that settled it. And what did God say to Abraham? He said, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you, right? And so after he had patiently endured, Abraham had patiently endured, he received the promise. For men swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them and the end of all strife. In other words, what's happening is when God swore that oath to Abraham and gave him those promises, it ended the strife within him. Now, of course, that would rise up every so often, but that's what it's meant to do for us because we are the seed of Abraham, right? We're told that in the book of Galatians. We have the same God, and that same God says to us this morning, I swear by myself that I will bless you and I will multiply you. And what we're to do is to patiently walk that path with God, right? And what, Ab and what God then did was... Um, wherein God willingly, more abundantly, to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, in other words, the unchangeableness of his counsel. He confirmed it, or he interposed himself, he put himself between himself and Abraham with an oath. He swore an oath, right? And then it goes on to say uh, that by these two immutable things, that is the oath God swore by himself and the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you, Right, in which it was, it was impossible for God to lie. God never lies. The minute you believe in Jesus Christ, God swears an oath by himself that he will bless you and bless me. That's what he does at that point. Now, maybe we've not understood that fully before. It took me a long time to kind of grasp that because this has taken us into another dimension. This has taken us out of the dimension of our human mind and understanding. We're taken to a dimension of, of a being that is greater than the universe that it's be, he is beyond time and energy and matter and space. And he has sworn by himself to bless us, right? And he then goes on to say, the writers of the Hebrews, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. That's what we're to do. We're just to rest in that hope because that's the only place where there's security for our souls and for our futures. And then it goes on to say, which hope is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil, where the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus. And it's all centered on Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now what that means is basically um, the oath that God swore and the promises that he gives never to leave us or forsake us and all his promises, they are sealed in the blood of Christ who was a sacrifice made for us. And what Jesus does for us the order of Melchizedek is an, is an eternal order. It goes on forever. Jesus ever prays for his people. So right now, thankfully, Jesus is praying for me and for you eternally, 24-7. So when you're asleep at night, Jesus Christ prays for you, right? During the day, the power of that blood is upon your life and mine 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
you and I are freed from worrying about our lives and our futures because God has shed Christ's blood to seal us in that covenant and Jesus prays for us day in and day out, never, no matter what we have to face. And what that means is that despite what we're going through, and, and, and I know we face challenges, every one of us faces challenges in different areas, that God has promised never to leave us or to forsake us. And you can see these sort of ideas of, of this binding of us to God and God promising never to let us go and the likes of Jeremiah. Now, those of you, uh, all of us, I assume, who know about Jeremiah know that he had a pretty torrid time because God said to him, right, I want you to go and tell the people the message I give you. Oh, and by the way, they're not going to listen. So it wasn't exactly the most promising start to a ministry. Um, however, Jeremiah soldiered on and in Jeremiah 29, 11, we're told, um, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hear you. It must be a terrible thing to pray to God and not actually know that God hears you. But because of where the seed of Abraham and because we have a covenant with a living God, God promises to hear us, right? Okay, and what he then does, he says, you shall seek and you shall find me when you seek me and when you search for me with all your heart. What God wants us to do is to invest our time and our energy, not just in, in being good Christians, and that's important that we are loving and compassionate to those around us, but what God wants us to do is to bring us into that place where we have a deep intimacy with him. And in having a deep intimacy with God, we are freed from worrying about ourselves. One of the things that stops us loving other people is we're worried about ourselves. And if you look at the writings of Martin Luther, for example, Luther, despite the fact that he was very imperfect, as all men are, and the ladies I know will agree with that, but there we go, Martin Luther believed that because God loved him, he understood this, God loved him and had loved him from before the world ever began, he didn't have to worry about himself. He was then freed to love others. And that was no small thing because the fact that Martin Luther survived and died naturally a natural death was a very, very, it was miraculous because many people were out to get him, right? But yet Luther said, no, I've got to take this message forward and I know that God loves me. So I don't have to worry about myself. You see, it kind of freed him. And it's that sort of eternal L if you've got God at the top and then Luther at the bottom, that L. That probably looks back to front to you, doesn't it? So if I do it that way, right? So God's here, Luther's here, other people are here. God said, you know, Luther says that God has promised to love me, so I'm then free to love other people. I don't have to worry about myself. God will meet all my needs, why? because he's sworn by oath that he would do this thing, right? Now, um, all that Jesus taught, whether it was the Good Samaritan, the miracles he did, anything he ever said was all bound up in this idea of covenant. Jesus was bound to the Father in covenant and to the Holy Spirit as well. And if you read some of the writings of the likes of Charles Hatton Spurgeon, he's very, very sort of forward in this idea that covenant is what Christianity is all about. We are grafted in to the covenant that God made with the Jews and we then become God's people. 
who believe in Jesus Christ. So you can say quite confidently this morning, and so can I, say, so can I, he is my God, right? And I am one of his people. And what a blessed place that's to be in. Because we're not perfect, we all know that. But we know that God is for us and God is not against us. And you know, um, you can study that all your life, but unless God opens your eyes to the power and the reality of that, you won't see it. And all it takes is simple faith to say, yes, God, I want you to show me what your covenant means. I want you to show me what it means that I am secure in you. Yeah. And um, there's a bit where Jesus talks in, in Luke 10 and 21 where he says, um, how Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but has revealed them unto children. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no one knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he or she to whom the Son will reveal it. So, we are in a very, very precious relationship with God. You and I, uh, when we came to believe in Jesus Christ, and to this day, and forevermore, and from before time ever began, we are in a situation where we have a relationship with God. And what God's calling us to do, despite our faults and failings, which are many, right? God's calling us to, to, to persevere in that. Why? Because he's committed to us. God's not going to let you go or me go either. What? Because he swore by himself and he promised never to leave us or to forsake us. And um, that can take humility. I think in our society we're told we can go out and do it ourselves and we can, do, we can have it all and we can do this, that and the other. And we see that really that's a lie because so many people out there in society are really struggling but they really can't admit it because that would take humility. That would take humility. But in 1 Peter we're told to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So this week, if you're struggling a bit, remember, or if I'm struggling a bit, which undoubtedly I will be at some point, remember God has made a covenant with me. He swore by himself and he promised never to leave us or to forsake us. And I think in the context of what we're going to be thinking about tonight, I just would like to finish by reading from 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, where it says, if my people which is us. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So rest assured, brothers and sisters, that God has made a covenant with us in the blood of his son and he has promised never ever to leave us or to forsake us. Now, maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, actually, you know, I've never taken that step. I've never come to the point where I've actually said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and I'm going to, to ask him to forgive my sins. So what I'm just going to do now is I'm just going to give people that opportunity. I'm just going to sh uh, pray a short prayer. And maybe this is your day to give your heart and your life to Jesus. And if you do that this morning for the first time, I'd be grateful if you'd maybe come and mention it to us at the end. So let's just pray as we finish.
Lord, we thank you that you made a covenant with Abraham. And to secure him in faith, you swore by yourself and you promised never to let him go. And Father, we thank you that you've done the same for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for my sins. I thank you that you want to have a relationship with me and give me a better life and take me to heaven to be with you forever. So this morning, I ask you to forgive my sins. I commit myself to you and I ask that you would keep your hand upon me for good from this day and forevermore. Amen.